0: Good morning church I always love how awake 8 a.m. is maybe not as much this weekend as other weekends <laughs> some of you didn't drink coffee but I love how you are more awake than the evening services and it's fantastic well we've been going through a series on spiritual gifts and we've been walking through first corinthians the longest passage in the bible about spiritual gifts and we've had this tagline as we walk walked through the various passages what has that been can you, can you say it for me Thank you. Members are ministers, and by that we mean members minister to each other. So open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 14, 1, and we'll read it together. Pursue love, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him but he enters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you to all speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen? To your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. And the law is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if I'll prophesy... And an unbeliever or outsider enters. He is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Amen? No, good. Clap for scripture. That's fantastic. (laughs) She's like, oh, we're not excited about this? I'm sorry. All right. So I lived for a few years in Scotland. I moved there. I was really excited to be there. And then pretty shortly after I moved there, I discovered a tragedy. Uh, There is no Mexican food anywhere in Scotland. Um, And I know you think maybe I'm lying to you. Don't do this. But if you got on your phones and you typed in Mexican food Scotland, you would find places. Those places are lies. If you go there, it's just a shadow of what Mexican food should be. So I thought, I'm going to be the hero of Scotland, and I'm going to make the best Mexican food, and really the only Mexican food in Scotland. And I was really excited. And all Mexican food requires salsa, right? Yep. So I go to the store, and I start collecting all the things I need to um, make my salsa. I get the various ingredients, and every salsa requires cilantro, is that right? Yes. Yes. If you think the answer is no, you can leave now. (laughs) Cilantro is essential to salsa, and I couldn't find it anywhere. I couldn't find anywhere. So I go and grab a store, like when someone works at the store, and I say, hey, uh, where's your guys' cilantro? And he goes, what? What's that? And I was like, what? Okay. So I find another attendant, and I'm like, where's the cilantro? And she's like, I've never heard of that. So I just start grabbing attendant after attendant. Where's the cilantro? And I realized no one in the store knew what cilantro was, because the grocery store apparently had bad hiring policies. So I go outside, I go outside, I'm crazed, I'm angry, I'm grabbing strangers, where's the cilantro? And they're all like, get off of me, I don't know what you're talking about. So I go home defeated, disturbed, in a nightmare that I can't wake up from. I go to school the next day, and I run into my American friend who's been there a little bit more, long, like a little bit longer than I have, and I'm like, hey Seth, uh, you know there's no cilantro in the entire country of Scotland? He's like, man, they call it coriander here. So with those new resources, I go back to the grocery store and I say, where's your coriander? And they're like, it's right here, sir. Their coriander's right here. (laughs) I had to have the right tools, the right communicative resources to be understood. Paul is talking about intelligibility in this section. Whether we're understood and if we understand other people, if we're speaking the right language. So I was in a country where they spoke my own language and they used it a little bit differently, and their vocabulary was a little bit differently, and I still couldn't communicate correctly unless we were all on the same page. How many of you have spent time in a country where they don't even speak English, like long periods of time, anybody? That can be exhausting. If you don't know the language of the country you're in, it can be exhausting. Little tasks, small tasks, things that should be easy become really, really difficult. Going to get Advil in France is impossible. I don't think anyone's ever done it. It's impossible, right? I can't do it because I don't know if that's the brand name. I don't know what the word for painkiller is. I can't describe that to the people who don't speak English. So I'm stuck. It is burdensome. I feel like there's this heavy weight on my shoulders that I can't throw off. And then I go back to the world of English speakers. And suddenly these tasks that were monumental, where I didn't speak the right language, they become easy. Like standing up, like sitting down. Intelligibility is essential for us to move and to breathe, to get along, for us to thrive. And it invades every area of our life. Intelligibility is the difference between when going to a restaurant, getting the food that you want and getting food that you definitely do not want. It's the difference at home between a thriving marriage and a marriage that's struggling. In a hospital, it can be the difference between life and death. And in a church, it's the difference between a church that is stagnant and a church that is healthy. So Paul is going to talk about intelligibility as he walks through chapter 14. Now I want to do some review. Can we do some review? It's good because there's going to be an exam at the end of the series. If you fail, you're not allowed to come back. We'll give you two chances maybe. So he begins in chapter 12. And in chapter 12, we learn what it is that a church is. What a church is, a church is a body. Paul begins his discussion of 1 Corinthians, his discussion with the Corinthians about spiritual gifts, describing a little bit about what spiritual gifts are. He reminds them of their creed that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then he points them to a really, really famous and really, really powerful metaphor for what the church is: a body. And this metaphor does a lot of things for Paul, and it conveys a lot of things to us about how the church should look. So to begin with, a body is diverse. Many different parts of the body. For example, the eye is the only part of the body that can what? See. The only part of the body can see. And Paul's saying the church is like that. The only people in the church who prophesy are people with the gift of prophecy. There are diverse giftings and people in your churches, just like there are diverse members of the body. But then he goes on to say it's not just that. The body's unified. The body's an entire connected thing. It has unity between its members. So in a body, an eye can look at the thing that is currently in front of it, But if it wants to see anything else, it has to be attached to legs that can walk it to these other places. The church is like that too. The church has unity between the different diverse members. Someone can speak in tongues, but for those tongues to be understood, someone has to interpret those tongues. So they're connected in that way. So the church, like a body, is diverse. The church, like a body, is unified. And most importantly, the body has a head and you cannot live without your head. Paul says, the church is like this. The church has a head, and that head is whom? Jesus Christ. And the church cannot live without that head. And then Paul transitions into chapter 13, where he describes the energizing quality behind everything the church does, love. And it's a poetic section. It's a lyrical section. It's very beautiful and moving. And in that section, he there's a lot of things. He reminds us that the things we do in our church have to be grounded in this quality. And if they're not grounded... In this quality, they're not full, they're warped, they're unhelpful in comparison to these things grounded by love. And then he shows us the high standard that love is. He personifies love. He says love is kind, love is patient, love does not envy. And he reminds us that the model for love is found in whom? Jesus And as a church, we're meant to love each other like Jesus loved us. So as we endeavor to love each other well, as we think about how we can love each other, even with this high standard of love that Paul paints, we're reminded that our model is Jesus. So the question we ask is, how did Jesus love us? He dies for us. How do we love each other? We ask this question, how can I die for this other person? So Paul has these two foundational things he's trying to get across to us. And then in chapter 14, He describes to us how we can express these gifts best. How these gifts can be expressed. That's what we're going to learn from Paul in chapter 14. And it's sort of divided into two halves. In the first half of chapter 14, it's about intelligibility. Do we understand each other? And the second half is about orderliness. So this weekend, intelligibility. Intelligibility. That's what Paul's going to focus on. He's beginning to deal with the specifics of the Corinthian church. And the thing that they need to learn from him first is, do they understand each other? So we can look at this um, beginning in verse 5. And he's going to teach us two things as he walks through this passage. The first is this. Spiritual gifts build the church. Spiritual gifts build the church. And the second thing that he teaches us, and by extension God teaches us, is that spiritual gifts grow the church. Spiritual gifts build the church. Spiritual gifts grow the church. So go back to verse 1 with me. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Paul seems to place one gift as being more important than another gift. There's a reason for that, and we have to understand what Paul means by tongues and prophecy to get there. So let's talk about that tongues. He wants to know what tongues are. Some of you guys know, some of you guys don't know. To begin with, tongues are directed toward God. They are directed toward God. That means they fall under the category of prayer or praise. Secondly, tongues, unless they are interpreted, are unintelligible. That means we don't naturally understand them. require require that they're interpreted for us to get the content. So here's what's important. They contain meaning. They don't convey meaning. They contain meaning, but unless they're interpreted, they don't convey meaning. Like a sign in a different language. Have you guys ever been somewhere you see a sign in a language you don't understand? Does that sign convey meaning to you? you You can't understand it, right? Does it contain meaning? Presumably someone could get meaning from that sign. So that's what tongues are like. They can be interpreted, but if they're uninterpreted, we don't understand them. Remember, they're directed towards God, so if they are interpreted, it doesn't come out as a rebuke against someone else. It comes out as a form of prayer or a form of praise. Lastly, tongues are good and they're for personal spiritual enrichment. Tongues are good and they're for personal spiritual enrichment. You with me so far? Yes. Next prophecy. Prophecy, unlike tongues, is directed to those at the church gatherings. Not directed toward God, but directed toward those at the church gathering. Now, something about prophecy that's important. We often think of prophecy and just immediately connect it to like Old Testament prophecy. Prophecy is something a little bit different here. It's a form of teaching. It's a word for the congregation of encouragement, of exhortation, of rebuke, or whatever. But it's rooted in what the Bible has already taught us and confirmed by what the Bible teaches us. It's not new knowledge. It's previously given knowledge And it's confirmed knowledge that's applied to our situation. That's what prophecy is. It's directed towards the congregation and we can understand it. It's intelligible. It's in our language. Tongues is not in our language. Prophecy is in our language. And this is the thing, this is the line that Paul's drawing between things that benefit the body because we can understand them and things that don't immediately benefit the body because we cannot understand them. Intelligibility and unintelligibility. So he seems to pit tongues against interpretation, but as we go through this passage, it's important to remember this. When Paul is talking about tongues, as we walk through these many verses, he's primarily talking about tongues that are uninterpreted, and they're less helpful than prophecy because we can't understand them. Prophecy is meant for the upbuilding of the group, for the spiritual upbuilding of the group, for the spiritual enrichment of the group. Tongues, if they go interpreted, are meant for your personal spiritual enrichment, Now think of it like normal wealth. Um, If I walk into a room with all these extremely nice wealthy clothes, and uh, wealth clothes aren't wealthy, but expensive clothes, I guess is the way to say that. And a really expensive watch on Friday night, I was like, you know, like a really expensive watch, like like a $10,000 watch, like really, really expensive. And they're like, no, no, there's watches way beyond that. I had no idea. Someone's like, you need to say like a $10 million watch. And I'm like, what? So imagine a $10 million watch, a car that's worth a ton of money, and you roll around all the time, and you're showing people how rich you are, but you never give your wealth to other people. You are not sharing your wealth. You're showing off your wealth. Paul's saying this is kind of like the difference between tongues that are uninterpreted and prophecy. Spiritual riches, spiritual wealth, it is meant to be dispensed rather than displayed. Prophecy dispenses spiritual wealth. Tongues that are uninterpreted just display it. Do you see the difference? This goes all the way back to Jesus. It is not just that Jesus was displayed on a cross, it's that he was dispensed on a cross. It's not just that he was raised up, it's that he was given up. He's the model for this as well. And then Paul continues to talk more about the intelligibility and the unintelligibility of gifts. You can read with me starting in verse 6. Now, brothers... If I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? You will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So, with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Now here Paul is going to give us three metaphors to continue to describe to us the importance of intelligibility, the importance of intelligibility. I should be intelligible as I say sentences. The importance of intelligibility. Three pictures. The first one is that of a lifeless instrument. And we may immediately think of the noisy gong or the clanging cymbal. Paul is saying that intelligibility conveys meaning. Intelligibility conveys meaning. Let me give you an example. Who's heard of Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata? I'm always shocked at how many people have heard of that. Well done. I feel like I'm less cultured when everyone else knows this thing that I thought would be. Anyways, Moonlight Sonata. What if I said to you, I'm going to walk up to this piano, just imagine this is a piano, and I'm going to play Moonlight Sonata, and I do this. You're welcome. And then walk off stage. Did I play Moonlight Sonata? I didn't play it because I didn't play it in the order that it's required to be played in. I didn't play it in the right sequence, in the right combination of notes, in the right timing, in the right volume. I just hit some notes and walked off stage. It's these patterns that are recognizable by us, that are intelligible, that convey meaning. Agreed upon patterns of communication. So if I walk up on stage to the gathering and I say, I'm going to bless you with the gift of tongues. And I... Do some gifts of tongues? And I go, you're welcome. And I walk off stage. Have I built the body? No. What I have done is displayed maybe my personal spiritual wealth, but I've not built the body up unless those tongues are interpreted. Intelligibility conveys meaning. The second picture he gives us is of a bugle, a little trumpet sort of instrument. And the bugle he's talking about is a bugle that would have been used at wartime. There would have been a bugler who seems to have a hard job in the army, and then all these soldiers who are waiting for the sound of the bugle to be played so that they know it's time for battle. They're ready to go. The bugle plays the right note. They're ready for battle. Intelligibility inspires action. Intelligibility inspires action. He uses this picture to convey that to us. Let me give you an example. Um, I uh, used to be a youth pastor here, not too many years ago. And when I was the youth pastor, I went to the Miracosta Christian Club And it was the first time in my life that I had ever walked onto public school grounds during operating hours because I was homeschooled. So it was like a fun mission field, right? So I go to the Christian club. I walk inside. We talk about Jesus for the 30-minute lunch period. And then suddenly this piercing sound rings through the air. And I'm like, what is that? And everyone starts grabbing their books and putting their books in their bags and zipping their jackets up and running in different directions. And I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? I grab a random student. I'm like, what's happening? What is that sound? They're like, it's the bell. We have to go. I'm like, is there a fire? I don't understand. What is the bell? Everyone's running in different directions. I wish that wasn't a true story. It's true. It's true. It's a true story. I literally grabbed a student. What is that sound? And they're like, get off of me. I'd never heard a bell in action before, it was scary. You know why it was scary? It was unintelligible to me. But to the students, it was intelligible. It's an agreed upon form of communication that the staff and the students were aware of. The staff would ring the bell and then the students could hear the bell and they could act on what the bell meant. The bell goes off, the students pack up their stuff, they go to their next class. I'm on the outside, I don't know what's going on, but they know what's supposed to happen. They know what they're supposed to do because they recognize the meaning that the bell conveys to them. Paul is saying spiritual gifts, if they're intelligible, they are meant to inspire action. If someone at the assembly, at the gathering of the church, just walks up and speaks in tongues for a while and doesn't convey any meaning, no one can act on that. But if someone before the assembly, at the church gathering, Prophesies in a language that's understood offers a word rooted in the Bible, confirmed by the Bible, that word can inspire action. It can lead us to repentance. It can encourage us so that we go out and encourage others. It can remind us that as a church we're meant to find out who in our church needs things and then we make sure those needs are met. It can remind us to find out who in our church is lonely and we become a friend to them. Paul is saying intelligibility inspires action. Then he uses a third metaphor, a third picture. And this is the picture of the many different languages of the world. Paul says, if I am somewhere that everyone speaks a different language than me, I'm an outsider to them, and they're an outsider to me. I want to give you an example to describe what this means. Who likes airports? You guys are the best service. Oh, some of you do. Sorry to hear that. Uh, airports are a weird form of punishment. I don't, I don't like them. Um, I've spent a lot of time in airports over the last few years, and um, if you like airports, you must have one of those, like, platinum passes where you can go into that room that I just look in through the window, <laughs> right? Um, you grab your kids, and you've got bags around your neck, and you're ready to go, and then you get stopped at the security line, which is just ridiculous, right? Like, do I take my shoes off? Do I leave them on? Computer out, computer in. What do I do? Is there a Kindle count? What about an iPad? Does that need to be taken out? And if you are at airports a lot and someone doesn't know what to do, you are so angry when they're like just asking all those questions. Shoes on, shoes off, what do I do? You get to the line, then they don't provide a place for you even to pack up. You're just like in the middle of a walkway putting your clothes back on. (laughs) It's very undignified. You gather everyone. I grab my kids, our bags, my wife grabs bags. We walk to the gate. We get to the gate and there's hundreds of people already at this gate and they're looking at this empty desk. Just, just like, what's going on with the flight? Is it delayed? Is it canceled? Is it on time? Spoiler, It is not on time? (laughs) Right? You're just waiting. You're just waiting. You're you're just waiting. And if you're at an airport um, where languages are spoken in closer to an equal measure, English isn't the dominant language. It's like, let's say, three or four languages that are spoken in equal measure. um, That announcement, for the fate of everyone in that room, is going to be delivered in more than one language. Right? So I've got my kids... I'm waiting to see what's going on with our flight. I see the lady walk up. I see she begins in English. I put hands around both my kids' mouths and I pull them in. I'm like, quiet down. I'm going to find out what's going to happen here. She does the announcement in English. I'm intently watching her with every molecule in my body. I'm watching her. She tells me my plane is canceled, you know, or whatever. I'm just trying to give you the most likely option. Just trying to be realistic. I let go of my kids. And then what happens is the next person walks up because they have multiple people making the announcement and that person does the announcement in French. And here's what you should do. Look at the rest of the room made up of people who speak different languages and a formally invisible group will suddenly unite together in focus. All the people who speak French will do this. And their faces will fall (laughs) in sadness together. And they'll all sit back down. And then the person who speaks Spanish will walk up. And he'll begin the translation in Spanish, the, the announcement in Spanish. And then suddenly, this invisible group that doesn't know each other, that doesn't come from the same place, they have different socioeconomic backgrounds, different professions, maybe even different religions, they all unify together in focus to watch this announcement because they share a common language. And as different languages like are spoken, and they announce it at different times, suddenly you see different groups unify together. And Paul, with this metaphor, with this analogy of the different languages, he's conveying this. Intelligibility, it creates unity. All these people who are just diverse members walking around doing their own thing, because they hear the right language, they become a group. Paul's saying, intelligibility, it creates Unity. And then he continues to talk about the intelligibility and spiritual gifts and what they mean for the church. And you can begin with me again in chapter, verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfaithful. What am I I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit. singing and praying in his mind and singing and praying in his spirit to describe intelligible and unintelligible ways of communication. He's saying, it's okay for me to sing and pray in my spirit. And by that, he's referring to unintelligible speaking, like speaking in tongues. He's like, but I must also speak and pray and sing with my mind. And by that, he's referring to intelligible things. Now, up to this point, the Corinthians have been reading his letter. You remember this is a letter, right? He's writing to a church in Corinth. And they've been having difficulty with prophecy and really a lot of difficulty with tongues because people in the church had been elevating their spiritual status to become spiritual elites and they were using tongues to maintain that position. So Paul has been, as he's walked through this section, lowering tongues on the list of gifts that are helpful for the church. And their response might be, well, Paul, you're just saying that because you don't speak tongues. And he's like, no, no. I speak tongues more than all of you. And the other shoe drops and they're all like, Okay. He says, but listen, it's better for me to speak five words that are intelligible, five words that can build up the church, five words that people can understand and act on and be unified with, than 10,000 words that do nothing for them as a group. He says, I'm not interested in displaying my spiritual riches. I'm interested in dispensing them. That's how important this is to Paul, just five. He's saying it's better to give someone $5 than to tell them you have (laughs) 10,000. And then he shifts focus just a little bit. He moves to what I think his next point is, that spiritual gifts should grow the church. Spiritual gifts should grow the church. He ends with, this, with these words. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people... And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together, and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophecy, well, if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Amen. Paul shifts focus here. He's been talking about how spiritual gifts, they build the body for the the benefit of those who are at the gathering. And now he explains spiritual gifts can benefit those who are outside of the gathering and visit us. They can be beneficial to unbelievers in a very particular way. And he begins by quoting a line from Isaiah in the Old Testament. The line is this. In the law is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Isaiah, and God through Isaiah, is talking to the Israelites. We've heard of them? Good, okay. He's talking to the Israelites. The Israelites are on the brink of being completely destroyed by the Assyrian Empire. Completely destroyed. destroyed. When they were destroyed by the Assyrian Empire, they never returned. God is speaking to them and he's saying, you didn't listen to me, you didn't obey me, you rebelled against me, you turned away from me, you persisted in that disobedience. So the last thing you're going to hear, the last sounds you're going to hear before judgment comes finally, are words that you don't even understand, the babbling sound of the Assyrians language. Then Paul compares that to an unbeliever who walks into our church. He says, imagine this picture. An unbeliever walks into your church. And everyone is speaking in tongues. They're displaying their spiritual wealth. The tongues aren't being interpreted. They walk in. They hear languages they don't understand. People speaking in tongues to each other. And they go, nope. And they turn around. And they walk right back out into judgment. Then Paul gives us another picture. A believer walks in. An unbeliever walks in. They see the church speaking intelligibly to each other dispensing their spiritual wealth instead of displaying their spiritual wealth, encouraging each other, uplifting each other, preaching the gospel, talking about the God who died in their place. And that person converts and is added to their numbers. Paul's saying, our church, our churches, they have to be intelligible to those outside our church. They have to be understood by those outside our church. We have to learn to speak the right language. I want to give you a few practical ways that we could do this. The first is this. We should know our culture well. We should know our culture well. In our church, I don't think the primary problem is that we're unintelligible to each other. It's that we are oftentimes unintelligible to those outside our doors. This is not just a problem for our church. It's a problem for most churches, and it has historically been a problem for the Christian church. Just a few centuries after Jesus ascends to heaven and the apostles die and uh, churches are growing, what happens is this monastic movement. Uh, all these men and women, they move out of the city, literally into the desert. They go out into the desert, and they live in these small communities where they only eat little bits of food, and they don't get married, they don't have children, the men and women live separately, and they completely and totally isolate themselves from culture because they're trying to protect themselves from culture. They're trying to be righteous, and by, by like being righteous, they mean just completely being separated from everything else that culture talks about and is engaged in. Now, I think that that is not what Jesus did. That's not what Paul did. And that's not what we should do. We should know our culture. We should understand it. How can we do that? Well, we should go to where the New York Times bestseller books are and we should read some of those books. Really. We should know who's famous and why they're famous. We should know what politicians are saying. We should be aware of the political landscape. We should be able to speak the language of those who are not in our churches Now, some of you might be thinking, well, in Romans, Paul says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. And I'm like, like, yeah, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but recognize the pattern. So when you see someone who is not part of our church, who is part of that pattern, we can have the sort of language that they understand. We can convey meaning to them. We can convince them of the futility of the pattern, and we can show them the beauty of the gospel. Amen? Amen? Secondly, we should engage our culture with charity and thoughtfulness. With charity and thoughtfulness. I think a lot of things, I mean, I have this tendency as much as anyone else, we really, really want to win arguments. And I think we have to focus less on winning arguments and more on winning souls. This is a hard line to draw, right? We want to be right, but I think it's important for us to be able to effectively point to who is right. So, um, I think it's important for us to address people, to engage people, to talk to people who are outside our church, with charity and thoughtfulness. So with charity, it means we're to remember that love is kind, that the person we're talking to is a real human being with a vivid life and a set of experiences who have shaped them into who they are, and we should be patient with them. We should love them, we should listen to what they have to say, and we should be careful about the things we say back to them. But also we should be thoughtful. This is what, Acts, or what Paul does in Acts. You guys have heard of Paul? I feel like more of you should have heard of Paul. I've been talking about him for a while. Okay. Paul goes on missionary journeys, and at one of his missionary journeys, he goes to this place, Mars Hill, and he sees this pillar, this little altar that says to whatever gods may be, and he realizes the men there are Greek philosophers, people who are at least interested in Greek philosophy. Here's not how, Paul does not engage them this way. He doesn't say, well, in Genesis it says. They'd be like, what's Genesis? We don't believe in Genesis. Instead, what he does is he addresses them on terms they might understand. He uses ideas from Greek philosophy to convey to them the truth of the gospel. He speaks to them their language. Thirdly, we should welcome those living in our community lovingly. We should welcome those living in our community lovingly. Paul, this is how he ends this little section. In verse 24 he says, But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Paul's describing a picture of a church who is already speaking to each other intelligibly. They're already talking about the gospel. They're already encouraging each other. They're already dispensing their spiritual wealth instead of displaying their spiritual wealth. And then he's saying, then what happens is someone walks into your church and your church hasn't compromised the gospel and your church hasn't isolated itself and your church has been continually and sacrificially loving other members of the church. They walk in and they see you and they say, as was prophesied in the Old Testament, God is with this people. We should be that church. We should be the sort of church that people walk in and they go, oh, God is with this people. And encountering God's people. When they encounter God's people, they encounter God. And when they meet God, their hearts are convicted. And they join us in celebrating the power of the gospel. And being a part of the powerful community that gospel creates. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessing it is to meet together. We thank you for the power of your word, how it can shape us, form us, convict us, and rebuke us. We thank you for the power of the body, the blessing of the body, the way that it meets its various members' needs. I pray that you continue to shape us into a church that is sacrificially loving all of its members. That is dispensing its spiritual wealth. That is dedicated to worshiping you. That is dedicated to proclaiming the gospel. I pray you bless us this week as we go out. We pray these things in the name of your Son Jesus. Amen. Amen. Pastor Andrew, let's have the elders come up and be available in front for prayer through this closing song. Church, I want to invite you to stand together, and in the spirit of unity, let's sing this chorus. To our God we lift up one voice, to our God we lift up one song, to our God we lift up